Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you will speak to us now by your Spirit and uh, impress your word upon our heart so that you will teach us to love you with all of our heart and soul and mind. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now I was reading a book written by a well-known pastor. And in this book, somebody from his church came to ask him a question. This person was very disturbed. And he was saying to him, Pastor, Pastor, you keep talking about God's love. But doesn't the Bible also say that God is wrath? And the pastor's answer was basically to sum it up. He said, God is only angry with people in the Old Testament. You see, in the New Testament, God is not angry with believers, only with unbelievers. He said, God is never angry with believers because of Jesus Christ. Jesus has taken the punishment for us. and Therefore, we must not talk about God's wrath but only talk about God's grace and love. And he said, don't listen to people if they tell you that you need to fear. No, don't listen to people who put fear into your heart, but just think about God's love. Now, is that true? Is it true that the Old Testament is, in the Old Testament, God is only a God of fear and punishment, whereas in the New Testament, God is a God only of love and grace and forgiveness. Is it true that the Old Testament God you know, is, is only a God of grace and love to receive, that we don't have to fear Him? But do we still, or do we still need to fear this God in the New Testament? And that's what we come to look at today. Today we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and I'll be looking only at verses 1 to 9 of chapter 6. And let's see what it tells us about fearing God and loving God. Now chapter 6 begins in verse 1 with Moses saying, these are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe. So which commands is he talking about here? Well, remember last week in chapter 5, we looked at the Ten Commandments that God gave. Okay? And later on in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapters 12 to 26, Moses is going to give them more laws and regulations. And these detailed laws and regulations will unpack and ex- explain, explain and expand on the Ten Commandments that were already given. So this whole body of laws, the Ten Commandments, as well as the, the laws that he, uh, he's going to talk about later, that's what he means by these commands. These are the commands, decrees and laws. Now, I'm going to show you this uh, slide up here and I'll try and get this pointer to work. Okay. Ah, okay. So, if you notice, I've put in here a, a kind of, there is a kind of structure to this passage. Okay, at least to the first three verses of chapter 6. You can see that there's a, like a mirror image kind of uh, structure, okay, where there are key words being repeated uh, from the end of chapter 5 to the beginning of chapter 6. So, if you see the key words, you heard, we will listen and obey, and hear in, in chapter 6, again the same words, Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey. And then 28 to 29 says that their hearts will be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands. And the same thing here, it says, So that you may fear the Lord your God by keeping all his decrees. Chapter 5, verse 30 to 31, Moses has been given the commands to teach the people to follow them. And chapter 6, verse 1, These are the commands the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe or follow is the same word. And in the heart of it all, it says, be careful to do God's word and to walk in His way. And that's the, at the end of chapter 5. So this kind of 
mirror image kind of structure is very common in the in the Hebrew Bible. And what it's telling us is these are the key words, okay? But in the middle of it, that's the central point. Okay, so if you look at all these things, you notice that they're all using different ways to say one thing. Okay, whether you talk about hear God, obey God, you know, keep God's commands, uh, do them, walk in them, and so on. What he's basically saying is, live the way that God says you should live. Do those things that God commands you to do. Now, God doesn't only command us to do certain actions. Okay, God also commands that we should have certain attitudes. See, God is interested not just in our deeds, but also in our hearts. You see, attitudes and actions are all kind of linked together very tightly. You can't separate them. See, if we only do the right actions, but don't have the right attitudes in our hearts, then we are just being legalistic. But if we only have the right attitudes in our hearts, but they don't show up in action, then we are just hypocrites. So what does God require of us inside our hearts? What kind of attitudes does He want from us? Well, basically, in this passage today, there are two things. Fear God and love God. So the first thing that God requires of us, the first attitude that God requires of us, is to fear Him. And what does it mean to fear God? Well, fearing God means basically realizing who He is and to take Him into account in everything that we do in life, and to realize the consequences and be afraid of the consequences of ignoring this God. But why does God want us to fear Him? You know, doesn't He want us to love Him? Well, God is God. That's why we fear Him. See, we are not God. God is not a human being. God is not a created being like us. He's a Creator. See, He's as far up above us as the heavens are above the earth. God is the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise being who exists in all eternity and who made this whole universe. Now, if you think about the scariest earthquake or tsunami or thunderstorm, very scary, but basically that just comes from a snap of God's fingers. See, the sun and the moon and the stars obey God. So it's right for us to fear God precisely because He's God. Now I can't just uh, walk into the Istana today after church and uh, saunter into the lounge room of the president and sprawl on the sofa and turn on the TV, right? I mean, if I was his son, maybe I could, but I'm not. And so even if I was ever invited into uh, to have an audience with the president, I need to go in with great respect, recognizing whose presence I'm in and knowing my proper place. You see, there is a great distance in position between the President and me. But the distance between God and us is so much greater than that distance between the President of Singapore and me. So we are not God's buddies or pals. Before God, we must always be conscious of whose presence we are in and what is our rightful place. So to fear God means to worship Him as God and to revere Him, hold Him in awe in our hearts. It's the right and proper kind of fear to have. And if we don't have this proper godly fear, we'll end up eventually experiencing a different kind of fear, which is a 
a terror and a dread of God's punishment and anger and wrath on us. Now, a right and proper fear keeps us from sinning against God. So when I was in primary school, I remember uh, the principal was this big guy with very scary looking face and a deep booming voice and I was very, very scared of him. <laughs> uh, and if he did anything naughty in class, the ultimate punishment was go to the principal's office and then you'll be face to face with him and you have to deal with him. Okay, and because of that, that was a that was a terrifying thought to me at that time and that was a great deterrent. Okay? So it kept me from doing anything too naughty in school. It's because I feared the principal that I behaved myself. I don't know nowadays whether kids still fear principals, okay, but at least in my time we did. And so in the same way, if I fear God, we all will think twice, isn't it, before we go and sin against Him. So what are we going to say to people who, who tell us, nowadays we don't have to fear God. Fear is a thing of the Old Testament. Don't listen to people who try to put fear into your heart. Well, let me tell you that fearing God is not just an Old Testament thing. It's not true that in the Old Testament, people only had to fear God, but in the New Testament, people only had to love God. You see, in both the Old and the New Testaments, people, God's people have to both fear Him and love Him. So see what the New Testament says here. Uh, next one, yeah. First Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone, love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, and honor the king. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. And in Hebrews, the passage I gave you here, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we, if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? And verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Plenty of reason there to fear God in the right way. So how should we fear God? You know, We can't just say that I fear God, but I, there's no evidence in my life to show that I fear Him. See, if you really fear somebody, you will basically tremble at their word. You will naturally submit to that person's wishes. If you truly fear God, you will pay great attention to what He says. You will be diligently studying what He says, so that you can quickly go and do it. Quickly find out what He expects of us, so that we can do it. Now, we need to fear God not just with our lips, but with our lives. So we need to be careful to do everything that God commands and to obey all His decrees because fear of God leads to obedience. So do you fear God? Ask yourself, do, do I fear God? Now is He in every thought and consideration of yours? So whenever you make decisions about how to live your life, about what to do today or this week, this month, this year, whatever, next five years, what is your first consideration? Is it a desire to do God's will and a fear to displease God? Or is it fear of losing your comfortable lifestyle? Is it fear that it might place you in danger or that your health might be affected? Or is it fear of man? No, is it fear of what other people would think about you? 
a family member, a loved one, colleagues, you know, people down the street? Is it fear that people are going to complain about you or disapprove of you? You see, the Bible says that we should not fear men, we should fear, rather, God. And in fact, Jesus tells us this in, in Luke, Luke chapter 12. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after killing the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. See, even if somebody threatens to kill us because we are Christians, God says, don't fear that person. Fear God instead. If you know from God's word that you need to live this way and you need to do something, then go and do it even if the whole world is against you. If God wants you to live a certain way, then go and live that way no matter what people think. So fear of God will drive out fear of man. At the end of the day, God is much, much more to be feared than people. And so never forget who God is, but let us all fear God. So we've seen now that the first attitude that God commands of us is to have is to fear Him. And now in verses four to nine, God also commands us to love Him. To love Him. So verse four starts with Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And remember that whenever you see the capital letters Lord in the Bible, it refers to the Hebrew name for God, that is Yahweh. Saying, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. He's the one and only God. He's the only God that Israel has. See, this God, Yahweh, has an exclusive right to Israel. He's, a, he's got an exclusive claim to being Israel's God. And Israel can have no other God except Him. And because of this, the next verse says, Therefore, Israel must love Him and love only Him. Because he's their God and the only God they have, they are to love him. And the same applies to us today. See, we must give God our exclusive love and devotion, loyalty and worship. What does it mean to love God? Nowadays we use the word love in such, a, such an elastic way, isn't it? We talk about, I love laksa, or I love, I love my iPhone, you know, or I love Michael Jackson. Oh, I love that cute guy across or girl across the room, you know. Or I, I, you know, I love my spouse. So we use the word love in so many different ways. We use it to mean I enjoy something, I like something, I appreciate something, I have strong feelings for someone, uh, you know, or I'm exclusively committed to that person. We use the same word. Now, in love songs, if you, if you have ever listened to love songs, which I'm sure you have, what does the word love usually mean? Well, it means usually like a desperate feeling, right? A strong, passionate feeling, or it could mean a, a sexual attraction. But here in Deuteronomy, the word love does not mean just an emotion, but it's a choice that we make. See, love is not just a feeling, but a decision. And here, in Deuteronomy, love is covenant love. Covenant love. What is covenant? Well, covenant is like a binding commitment that we enter into. Something like marriage. That's a covenant. See, the highest kind of love that you can have 
It's not romantic feelings or sexual attraction or family affection. But the highest kind of love that anyone can have is to devote themselves exclusively to one person for the rest of their lives at whatever cost to yourself. That is really love. And God's relationship with Israel is like a marriage. God's like a husband to Israel and Israel is like a wife to God. See, a marriage will not last if it's just based on feelings. Okay, if it's built on romantic feelings only, it will disappear. But a marriage is built on solemn vows exchanged between the husband and the wife to commit themselves exclusively to each other for life. And that is how God loves Israel. God has committed himself, he's made a solemn vow to be their God, to save them out of Egypt, to, to, uh, to teach them and give them his laws. Okay? And God has entered into this binding covenant with Israel. Now, Israel also must love God in the same way. Israel must have this kind of exclusive love for God. This loyalty and unwavering commitment and total devotion to God. Now, loving God is much more than just having feelings about God. Now, of course, we must love God with all our heart. That's what the verse says. So, don't get me wrong, we must love God with the emotional part of us. That is, we should feel strongly about loving God. We should be strongly grateful and enthusiastic about loving God because He has loved us first. So it's wrong to try and love God with just our minds, just knowing stuff about God without actually loving God with our hearts. But it's also equally wrong to think that the only way to love God is with our emotions, with our hearts. See, some Christians think loving God means creating the right mood with music and heightened emotion so they can experience the right feeling and they can feel a connection to God. Now, there's nothing wrong with uh, worshipping God with our emotions, but that's not all there is to loving God. In fact, that's not even the main thing about loving God. See, God doesn't command us to love Him by singing I love you songs to Him. In fact, do you realize that in the Old and New Testament, it almost never has people say, I love you to God. God is not interested in us telling Him how much we love Him. So what does He want? Well, He says in verses 1 to 3, Obey my commands. Again and again in Deuteronomy, we read about loving God and obeying His commands in the same line, in the same sentence. Okay? So, uh, in Deuteronomy, I think I put this up, Deuteronomy 11, this is one example. It says, Love the Lord your God and keep His requirements, His decrees, His laws and His commands always. Now, this is repeated again and again in Deuteronomy. I've only shown you one. And it's not just in the Old Testament. It's also in the New Testament. Jesus says in John 14, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And this we did in the responsive reading today, First John this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. See, what God wants is for us to demonstrate our love in action. He wants us to show Him that we love Him by obeying Him. See, if I keep telling my wife, Cynthia, I love you, I love you, but then I kind of never spend time with her, 
and I never do anything for her, I forget about her birthday, what would she think? <laughs> you know, she would think, stop saying that you love me, because you don't mean it, right? It's so insincere. Not rather that you don't say it at all, but show it by your actions. Now, that's exactly, in fact, what God says to His people in the Old Testament. If you remember, we did Isaiah last year, and he says the same thing, you know, God says, stop going to the temple to pray, to offer sacrifices to me. When we leave the temple and, you know, the rest of the week, you just go out there and live unjustly and oppress people. I don't want that. God says, I'd rather you shut the temple doors than do that. So in the same way, it's no use for us to keep singing, I love you to God. If the rest of the week, we don't show that we mean it at all in how we live. In fact, God hates it. He would hate to hear us say, I love you to him and be so devoted in church when on Monday to Saturday we live just as we please. If we truly love God, we must show it by doing what he wants us to do and that is by obeying him. Now verse 5 not only says love the Lord your God but it says love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength. And what is our heart and soul and strength? Now, in the original Hebrew language, the word heart has a slightly different meaning to nowadays. So nowadays when we say our heart, we usually mean our, our emotions, okay, our feelings. Uh, but in those times, it was much broader. It's the whole inner person is the heart. Okay, that includes their feelings and emotions. It includes their mind, their thinking, their intellect. But it also includes their will, the decision-making center in them. And also the word soul has also changed in meaning. Okay? We nowadays think soul is that inner invisible part of us that kind of separates from the body when we die, right? When we see too many movies. But, uh, you know, in Hebrew, soul means a person's whole life or being. Okay? It's not just the inner invisible part. It's every part of you. That's your soul. And so loving the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul means just, if you put it in modern day terms, Loving God with everything that you are. And what does strength mean? Well, here the word strength is again, literally means something like everything that you have. So strength is not just how much physical strength you have. Okay, it's not that if you don't have biceps or triceps, you can't love God. No. Strength means loving God with all of your possessions, all of your financial resources, all of your social influence, using your work, your relationships, your leisure, everything to worship God, to love God. Now God is not asking for just some of your heart and some of your soul and some of your strength. He's asking for all of you. He wants everything. Now why does God want everything? Why does God want us to love Him so extravagantly and so generously, even so recklessly? Well, the reason is He deserves it. He deserves everything. See, God has a double right to own us. Do you realize that God made us and therefore we belong to Him? But not just that, God bought us back with a price and therefore all the more we belong to Him. The Bible says we are not our own, we were bought with a price. So we owe God our lives. And all that we are and all that we have is rightfully His in the first place. God has loved us so much and at such a costly price 
that it's only right for us to love Him back with everything that we've got. So do you love God? Now ask yourself, do I love God? Have I given all of myself? Ask yourself, why do I make the choices that I make in life? So think of your job. Why did you choose the current job you're in? Or think of how you spend your money. Why do I spend it on these particular things? Or think of your boyfriend or girlfriend. Why did I choose that particular person? Or think of the activities and the commitments you have in your nights and your weekends. Why did you choose to spend your time that way? Can you honestly say, I made these choices because of how much I love God? Or do your decisions show that the number one person in, you, in your life is myself? Me, myself and I. See, we jump at every opportunity we have to hang out with our friends, have a good time, pamper ourselves by buying more stuff, you know, go on another holiday. But when it comes to making a serious commitment to serving God, to serving our brothers and sisters in church, we easily cop out, make excuses. So, brothers and sisters, we have to examine our hearts before God. If there is a need for us to repent for not loving God, we need to repent and to love Him. Now, how can we make sure that we keep loving God? See, how can we avoid forgetting God? We are such sinful and forgetful people. Well, the answer is here. In verse 6, the answer is, we must have God's words upon our hearts. Verse 6 says this, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. See, God's commandments are spoken from the mountain and given on stone tablets. Okay? But the aim of God's word is not just to remain words hanging in the air outside of us. It's not just words that you hear from the MP3 or or written words recorded on a page or on a stone or whatever. God's words are not meant to remain on the outside. God's words are meant to come inside us. See, they're meant to be in our hearts, on our hearts. They must penetrate us and they must make their mark in the deepest part of us. And God's words must be internalized and integrated and incorporated into our very beings. So you can realize that having a real relationship with God is not a matter of following a set of rules, set of do's and don'ts, performing the right rituals. But having a real relationship with God is a matter of loving God. That is, it's something that comes from your heart. If I love God, then His words must permeate my life and take hold of my mind, take hold of my heart, my emotions, my will, my attitudes, my values, my decisions and my actions. See, in our church, we take it very seriously to, to study the Word of God. We may even pride ourselves on how good we are at studying the Word of God. We may be able to win Bible trivia quizzes, remember the names of the three daughters of Job, and we've been to numerous workshops on how to study the Bible. You know, we, we can memorize scripture, we, we can listen to good preaching just like a person goes uh, as a food connoisseur, right? And we can even, uh, you know, be very good at critiquing preachers, okay? And we may know so much to the point that when we listen to a sermon, we go, hey, how come there's nothing new here today? I've heard it all before, nothing new. Now, how come you never tell us anything new? Nothing fresh. 
You know what? God is not interested in how much you know. He's interested whether you act on what you know. So last week we heard God's commands, the Ten Commandments. Now you might be able to recite them all off by heart, but have you put them upon your heart? The Ten Commandments say that we must have no idols before God. But let me ask you, have you made your bank account your idol? Your investments, your CPF savings, your cherished possessions, your work, your leisure, your sport, your health, your family, your relationships? Have you made idols of these things and replaced God in your hearts with these things? Or God commands us to honour our father and mother. Well, do you respect your parents? Do you spend time with them? Do you show them your appreciation? And not just by giving them money if they're old, or you know, but giving them your time and attention. Or do you just brush them aside impatiently? You treat them you know, like uh, you take them for granted, you treat them like free labor, you know, to cook and clean for you and do your childcare. God commands us not to murder. God says, Jesus says in the New Testament, this commandment means don't hate, don't be angry, don't despise, and don't treat somebody with contempt. So do you hold grudges in your hearts against people? Are there people that you are unwilling to forgive? God commands us not to commit adultery, which Jesus says means don't lust. Do you lust and fantasize over people that are not married to you? Do you look up pornography on the internet? See, God commands us not to steal. So do you cheat on your tax? Are you dishonest in your business dealings? Do you use creative ways to avoid giving what is your rightful due? God commands us not to bear false witness against our neighbor. But do you slander other people by gossiping and speculating about them and character assassinating them? God commands us not to covet. Do you desire something that's not rightfully yours? Are you never satisfied with what you have and always wanting more and wanting what other people have? See, God did not give His words to us to store in our heads as hate knowledge, for our curiosity, just for our information. But God gave us His Word so that we would take them to heart, obey them and live by them. So get God's words into your heart. But you might say, how? How do I get God's words into my heart? Well, in verses 7 to 9 it says, Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, sitting at home and walking along the road means that whether you're at home or away from home, talk about God's words. In other words, wherever you are, talk about God's words. And in the same way, lying down and getting up, just the two extremes of our day, right? Our day starts with getting up and ends with lying down, I hope. So, it means talk about God's words all the time. And wherever you are, in every time and in every place. And what about tying God's words as symbols on our hands and binding them to our foreheads and you know, putting them on our door frames and gates and so on. In fact, the, the strict Orthodox Jews still do this literally. And some people might find it helpful to do these things to remind them of how important God's words are. But remember that these are not legalistic rules to follow. But the aim is to get God's words upon our hearts. 
So they're not. They're supposed to be just be outward reminders to 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 remind us of something inward. The important thing is to have God's words on our hearts. So we need to surround ourselves with God's word. We need to keep reading and talking about and thinking about God's words because we are sinful and forgetful. And we need to constantly remind ourselves and be reminded of God's words. And as we surround ourselves with God's words, we read them, we recite them, we meditate on them, we talk about God's words to our Christian friends, then they become second nature to us. And whenever we face a crisis, a challenge in life, we automatically remember God's words to us in that situation. So, whether it's a major illness, or losing a loved one, or just becoming rich and comfortable, we know how God expects us to live. We know God's instructions and warnings to us. So what are you doing to surround yourself with God's Word today? Do you regularly come to hear God's Word preached? I assume that you do if you are here today. Do you also have a regular Bible study? Do you talk over God's words with other Christians? Do you read it for yourself? And when you do read it, do you pray over how it applies to you? And do you make changes that you need to make? It's not enough for us to just immerse ourselves in God's word, it says. In verse 7, it also says that we need to teach them to our children. Now recently, there's been a lot in the newspapers about the role of schools and childcare and maids and so on in bringing up children. Okay, I haven't been following a lot because I don't have children. But basically, Christian parents have an obligation to pass their faith on to their children by teaching them from the Bible God's words. Our parents, you need to set aside time to specifically teach your children about God. Who else is going to do it for you? You are responsible for their spiritual upbringing. Don't think to yourself, I'm too busy, I'm too tired when I get home. I just want to sit in front of the TV and watch something. Okay? Let the Sunday school teach them about God. No, this is something that you cannot delegate. Okay. I'm, sure some, I'm sure our Sunday school is fantastic, but as good as, as good as it is, it can't ever take the place of you teaching your own children. See, they, the Sunday school teachers have them for what an hour each week, but you see them every day, and they look at you every day. And if you teach them, and you model them what it means to live as a Christian, then that will make a huge difference. So, fear God by keeping His commands, love God, by having his words upon our hearts. But for what purpose? What will we gain out of that? Well, verses 1 to 3 give us a motivation for obeying God. It says that the outcome of obedience is long life in the land. See verse 2. So that you may enjoy long life. And also verse 3. So that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey. And this promise is repeated again and again throughout Deuteronomy. For example, chapter 5, end of chapter 5, uh, I already read it to you earlier, chapter 5 verse 33 says, So that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. See, when God promised long life to Israel, He wasn't actually necessarily promising that every individual Israelite would live to the age of 90 or 100. Okay? It's a promise to the nation as a whole that this nation will remain in the land for a long time. Okay, because Israel did not have an automatic right to be in the land. Okay, the fact that they could remain in the land depends upon their obedience to God. 
And God says to them very clearly in Deuteronomy that if you stop obeying me, I'll kick you out of the land. But don't think that Israel's obedience was to earn the right to be in the land. Because God also says that the land is a gift of God's grace to them. You see, they have the land because God is keeping His promises to their forefathers to give it to them. But on their part, this gift needs to be received and maintained by their faithfulness and obedience to God. Now, this principle actually remains the same in the New Testament as well as in the Old Testament. So for us Christians, we too are promised God's land. But in the New Testament, the land is not a, a physical country somewhere near the Mediterranean. It is about the new heaven and the new earth. God says that we will inherit the earth because heaven and earth will be completely restored. But we must continue to trust and to obey God in order to get there. Now, in the New Testament, there's a passage in Hebrews that talks about the Old Testament people of faith, people like Abraham. I'll just read it to you quickly. In Hebrews 11. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Now, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Now for people like Abraham or those other ones who truly had faith in God, they were not ultimately looking forward to the land of Canaan. They were ultimately looking forward to heaven, the promised land, God's country. They persevered in faith and obedience to God and God will keep their promise, His promise to them. And so we too must persevere in faith and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ so that we will receive what is promised, eternal life in heaven forever. You know, when children see something... Uh, enjoyable, they usually like to get it straight away, right? They, they don't want to wait at all. And they don't know how to delay enjoyment and endure uh, hardship so that they can gain something better in the future. We have to teach them, right? We have to teach them. So if children have their way, they'll be, you know, playing all day and go out with their friends all the time, stay up late all the time and never doing their homework. So we need to constantly remind them, hey, for the sake of your future, stop playing this video game you know, go and study, go and study for your test, go and do your homework. But you know what? The lesson that we teach to our children, a lot of us haven't learned it ourselves. We also want everything now. In this life, we want it all now. We are not prepared to wait for heaven. See, we are not prepared to make sacrifices now so that we can have the joys of heaven. So don't be satisfied with this world. and Don't set your heart on this life or the things of this life, and forget and ignore God's promise of heaven. But put your hope in the future promises of God. See, God promises us heaven if we will trust and obey in Him, if we will persevere in our faith, not because our faith or obedience is, uh, is somehow to earn it, uh, we earn a passport to heaven. No, it's all totally by God's grace and His initiative to give it to us as a free gift. But we must receive this gift by having faith in Him and by obeying Him. 
And so fear God and obey God and He will give you life in heaven forevermore. The God of the Old Testament is exactly the same as the God of the New Testament. He's a God to be feared. He's a God to be loved and a God to be obeyed. If we stubbornly persist in disobeying God, we will receive God's anger and punishment. So don't listen to people who say, as long as you believe in Jesus, you can live in whatever way you like. No, if you truly believe in Jesus, you also must obey Him and keep His commands. Now, there's uh, C.S. Lewis, he's the guy who wrote the Narnia stories. He wrote The the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, the, the Narnia story, and it's come out in a movie as well. And in this story, that's this great king of Narnia, a lion, right? Called Aslan. And in this story, this lion actually represents Christ. So, uh, this, there are four children in the, in, the, in the story. I don't know whether you've seen it, but there's four children in the story and they're talking to a beaver, funnily enough, about Aslan, right? And they ask uh, Mr. Beaver, is Aslan safe? Is Aslan safe? And Mrs. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. You see, the same applies to God. God is not safe. He's good. God is holy and majestic and powerful. And so we must fear Him. But God also loved us at the greatest cost to Himself and gave us His Son to die in our place. And therefore we must love Him back. Both fear of God and love of God ultimately lead to the same end point, that is, obedience. They lead us to submit humbly to God's will and to obey His word. And so let's pray now for God to enable us to fear Him and love Him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are in truly in awe of Your great majesty. And we know that we stand before You as sinful and weak creatures who have failed You time and time again. And we fail to acknowledge You and Your greatness in our lives. And we have pushed You away in spite of Your great love for us. Please forgive us. And please help us to truly fear you and to love you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength. Please enable us to hear your words attentively, to have them constantly in our hearts and minds and to obey them in every part of our lives. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.